Hello, Hillside. Welcome. It is June 14th, and my name's Katie Weibert. I am a member of our council here at Hillside, and I am so excited to have you join us today. I want to say a special shout out and welcome to any of you who are newer to the Hillside community. Maybe you found us during this shelter in place, or maybe a friend referred you, but we are so glad, and you are so welcome. You, uh, I would love to have you check out more about Hillside by going to our website, hillsidecovenant.org and clicking on the Get Connected button. That'll help you better understand Hillside as well as know how you can get involved. We're a pretty fun community. Next, I would like to welcome all um, who are viewing this to check in. Um, you know, when we were get gathering together on Sundays and sitting in the aisles, we would pass a welcome pad. And that's usually how we were able to keep track of, of who was coming and going. Um, being brothers and sisters in Christ means we're a relational body. And so we need your help in staying connected. And you can do that through our Church Center app. So this is your opportunity to bust out your cell phones or your tablets. And you'll just need the Church Center app, which you can find on the Apple Store, um, the Apple App Store, or the Google Play Store to download this. Um, once you've downloaded it, then you can continue using it. So now this is the time. Open your app. You will click on uh, the check-in symbol at the bottom. Uh, the Sunday service option should come up next, and that's where you can select all of the members of your household and check them into that service. Once you've clicked next, then you're checked in and now we know that you're here. Um, so thank you for taking a moment uh, to, to check in with all of us.
We are so happy to be with you today. This is Wayne and Patty Freeman, and just excited to be sharing a moment with you. We so appreciated your prayers when we were in Australia diagnosed positive with COVID-19. But our story is not the exciting story. The exciting story was from one of the members of our group whom you were also praying for. Many of you have heard our requests for prayers for Jake. And he was one of the members of our larger group that uh, also contracted COVID with us. But the real story is the fact that we had two people in our group that got tested at a very early stage before any of us else did. And as a result of their positive test, we were all quarantined immediately. If we had left the next day like we were scheduled to, we would have all gone our separate ways and we probably would not have received the care mm. and the treatment that we did. As a result, we were immediately tested and the Australian Health Department came out and 
drew blood as well. And it was that critical blood test done at an early stage that triggered the treatment of Jake. And they took six of us to the hospital uh, along with Jake. And he was um, immediately given treatment that probably would not have been done if he had gotten on a plane and headed home. So we are so grateful for just the way God showed up in the different stages through our trip. Uh, from this couple being tested early, from us being able to quarantine where we were, uh, where we were quite comfortable. The staff was very gracious and very hospitable to the South Australian Health Department, uh, who was very capable of being able to treat COVID cases. And then again, eventually, just the treatment Jake received at an very, very early stage for his COVID-19 uh, virus infection. So we are so grateful for just all the ways God showed up in our trip, but we're also really grateful for all the prayers and encouragement that you gave us uh, during our stay in Australia, as well as the prayers for Jake as he recovered. So again, thanks so much for everything. Uh, we look forward to sharing with, this you, with you much more in the future, face-to-face. -face. Uh, but for now, we welcome you to just continue to enjoy serving God and worshiping Him today. And in this time where things are very different. Thanks so much. Hey, I'm back with a few more announcements. Have Are some of the kids ready for virtual Bible Kids Camp? Let me see some hands out there. Oh, oh, I see, I see a few kids. They're super excited. And so are we um, to be able to host this uh, in conjunction with another church. And so if you have not yet registered, it's not too late please go to our Hillside website and uh, check out the registration page. If you have any questions, Cheryl Gerlich would love to connect with you. Next, there is a very special event happening next Sunday, Father's Day. So youth and kids, we need your help with a Father's Day blessing. So please text or email or harass on social media, whatever you need to do, get a hold of Cheryl Gerlich and Stephen Wysong and they will give you more details. Hey Hillside, I wanna give a, a very positive update that as we've mentioned in the past, we have a relationship in the Dominican Republic um, with Vision Celestial, who also hosts a compassion project. Many of our Hillsiders support children and sponsor children at this project. There were 23 new children that were able to be sponsored and five have already been um, sponsored by our Hillsiders. We have 18 more children that would love to have a relationship with you and it means so much to them and their families. It's only $38 a month. There are two ways to make this happen. If you check out our e-newsletter, there will be details on how you can either go in and select one of the children to be sponsored or if you really don't care at you know which age or gender then you can just text a number and you will receive the child that's been um, assigned to you if you have any questions about children's sponsorship please reach out to dan carl those details will also be in the newsletter on a separate note um, in last Sunday's service, Pastor Jonathan mentioned a few things that our church is going to be engaging in in response to recent events. One of them is a book club discussion that you are welcome to join. 
on the book White Fragility. This is going to be led by Christine Gilmore, Daniel Cisse, and Jane DeYoung. The book study will start June 22nd and will happen on Monday nights at 7 p.m. So we encourage you to consider joining this with its purpose really being to discuss, to listen, and to explore um, different perceptions just about race and in a very healthy and respectful forum. These are the types of honest conversations we want to engage in as a Jesus follower community. You can check out the Church Center app to register, or you can email Michelle Miller at the church office and she will get you the information. We also mentioned watching, having a Just Mercy watch party. This is a fabulous book that was recently made into a movie and there will be more details to come. I'm personally curious because I don't know what a watch party is. I'm getting really in touch with the current digital age. So more details to come in watching the movie Just Mercy. I'd like us to close as we, as I pray over the offering. There are several ways that you can give, and I thank you, Hillside, for your continued generosity um, during this time of sheltering in place. You can give in three ways. One is through the Church Center app that you used to check in with earlier. You can also go to our church website, hillsidecovenant.org. This link is also linked in the video description that you're accessing as you're viewing this today or you can send in a check to the office. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we are so aware of your blessings and your mercy and your graciousness at this time. Holy Spirit, we pray for more of you to be revealed in us as we engage in our communities and our families and in the world. Please take these offerings, Lord, and multiply them let their impact be felt deeply by those in our world. In Jesus' name, amen.
within the Compassion, Justice, and Missions Ministries of Hillside. And I'm here today to update you on the three international partnerships that Hillside has, and also to introduce two videos. So first of all, with respect to the Safe House, we've actually not heard from Lech or Irene since the 1st of May, but at that time, they told us everyone was healthy and well, and the major problem they were having is they had electricity only for about two hours each week which makes pumping water from their well very difficult. Also, prices have skyrocketed for food, but they had the foresight to buy a lot of food and stock up prior to the shelter-in-place rules going into effect. Next, with respect to the Dominican Republic and Vision Celestial, which is the church with which we have a relationship and where we visit each year, they inform us that Everyone is healthy there. All the children of the Compassion Project are well. They are not able to hold their services together in person on Sunday, but they're doing that via the internet. They are keeping open the water project and also the bakery to serve the community, but they did need to close down the sewing classes, and also the children are not able to visit the project each day. Instead, the teachers are walking from home to home delivering Bible studies for the children. In a moment, you're going to see a video from Ernesto, who is the pastor at Vision Celestial, and also his wife, Altagracia, who is the director at the Compassion Project associated with that church. Next, moving on to Thailand and the Grow Home, 
We've been told that all but seven of the children are now back safely at the home. And those children should be there by July. Now you're going to see a longer video from Fa, so I'm going to let her give you a more in-depth update in terms of what's happening there. So I would ask that you pray for each one of these ministries. Also, following up on the announcement that was made earlier, I'd ask you prayerfully consider whether you might be able to sponsor one of the children at the Dominican Republic Church who so desperately need sponsorship. So now, let's take a look at these two videos. Thank you. May God bless you and you are talking, we are talking from the Dominican Republic. It is our hope that every one of you in his side is okay, is good. Our family and the community and the church is okay. May God bless you and continue keeping you safe. We love you and we are happy to know that God is keeping you safe. Sawadika, Hillside Covenant family. Uh, greetings to you from Grow Home Thailand. My name is Fa. Education is very important to everyone, right? Especially the Grow children here, very important too, because of our, our Grow Home children parents, they cannot read and write because of they are very poor, they don't have education, they cannot get a job, they cannot earn uh, like things and they became a very risky for the students. Some parents, they are like, sell the student out to, you know, because just need money for the drugs or like students became uh, like child traffic. COVID-19, this time, many students not able to go to school, including close home as well, because the government not allow the student go to school in person. All the students who are here in the grow home, now we study, via online and like in America or other place may be very easy to access to message from church but thinking about like the poor children are in the mountain and no internet and cannot uh, contact or not access anything so I will go home right now we have uh, most of the student back but some students not able to come back in the grow home yet because of uh, very difficult to get out and get in. I would like to ask you to pray for us and pray together with us, especially for we're gonna have uh, three new children gonna be arrived and to be a part of our family. I am very excited to have three boys pretty soon and then for uh, their adjust time to be living with us in the grown home. Uh, pray for the new school and therefore like health and then financial support as well. I want to thank to Hillside Covenant Church for your support and for your prayer and for your leadership. It's overwhelming uh, all the past year that how you have been a part of changing many lives.
and thank you for your support and you love us and let's go home and love me too ขอบคุณมากค่ะ and God bless you As a pastor, as a leader in the church, I always want to keep my ear open to cultural trends, to what groups of people are saying, how they're experiencing the church, how they're experiencing Christianity. And I want to open this morning by sharing some common themes that. I've been hearing for several years now from different groups of people, and these are not just one-off conversations. I'm I'm talking about like more of a collective narrative that I'm hearing, and this is primarily coming from white evangelicals, um, which I am a white evangelical. These are people that have been. Connected to the church at some point in their journey and life. I also want you to know that I'm a I'm a reader, I'm a listener, I'm a learner, and I do my best to stay connected with other pastors and leaders because I want to be held accountable to what I'm hearing and what I'm reading. I don't I don't want to just be a person who learns how to develop his own narrative based on. A few experiences in my life. I, I want to continue to push the walls out, broaden my perspectives, and then be held accountable to the things that I'm saying. Because I know I, I live with an awareness that I'm always going to miss bits and pieces of the story. I'm, I'm going to get some of it right and some of it wrong. I also listened uh, to a sermon last week. I've actually listened to several sermons in the last couple of weeks because I wanted to know how our other Pastors and leaders in the church addressing the issue that we're in right now. How are they talking about racial racial injustice? How how are they sharing uh, their own perspective? And um, there's one pastor in particular that he said some things that really stuck out to me, and it comes from a man named Scott Treadway. He's a pastor in Temecula, California, at a church called Rancho Community Church. This is the church where my parents attend. My sister and her husband go there, and my niece. And uh, I wanted to just share a bit of some of the things I heard from him, because the things that I heard from him have confirmed some of the things that I've been hearing. And the way that he said it helped to name and to uh, define clearly, like put it into some categories that I thought were really helpful. And based on what he said and some of my own experiences, so I want to share some of those. These these are like the three different responses that he spoke about last week, and um, this is coming from three different groups of people. And the way he phrased it was this: He said there was group number one, and this group are are people who have said, "I have left the church." We're talking about capital C church, the bigger church, because it's mean and unkind. And I understand this. Uh, I have said many times throughout my life that religion, in my experience of religion, is that it has produced some of the best and some of the worst people I have ever met in my entire life. I know that not everyone is unkind. I know that. I know that not everyone is mean. But I do want you to hear this because I think it's important. 
there is a collective strong voice that is coming across as mean and unkind. And people are hearing that. We as evangelicals are seen as self-protective, highly defensive, a people who refuse to let go of our traditions because it seems like our traditions are more important than walking in the way of Jesus. Group number two, we're also hearing people say, it seems like the evangelical church is starting to realign itself with the cause of Christ and the cause of justice in the world. Now I have countless friends, people that I have known over the years who long to follow Jesus and still do, who also long to be part of a Jesus community. They, they want to be part of a church, but they will not attend church or be a part of church because of our refusal to change. And I am not talking about music style. I am not talking about pews versus chairs having candles and good lighting, making sure that we're relevant. I'm not talking about that. It's a posture that we're holding. It's a fear that to actually enter into the dialogues that are happening in culture, the ones that are happening around us, it's a refusal to enter into those hard discussions. We are in serious danger of becoming more and more irrelevant. However, there does seem to be an awakening happening right now. And it does seem like the church is waking up, waking up to the cause of Christ in the world, waking up to the cause of justice, equality, dignity, and compassion. Group number three, and, and Scott named this so well for me, and this one is alarming. But how he said it was, was good because it captured what I'm feeling inside. And he said, this group, group number three, is getting smaller and smaller. And I would add to that, that they also seem to be getting louder and louder, even though they're getting smaller and smaller. And this is what was said. They have said, black Americans are afforded every right, every dignity, and every privilege of white America. And here is what is so absolutely alarming to my soul, to my bones. There is no willingness to do some soul surgery. No willingness to say, where's the sin in my life? Where's the sin in my church? Could it be possible that we're missing something here? An all out refusal, opening ourselves up to the idea that what a large majority of people are saying right now about racial injustice simply isn't true. One of my responsibilities as a leader, as a pastor, is to name and identify reality. Even if it means losing people's affections or admiration. Even if it means people aren't gonna like me any longer. That is not my primary goal in life. I wanna name reality. I wanna be found standing with Christ. I grew up in the church. 
I, I grew up in it. I've been in the church my whole life. My father is a retired minister, served the church faithfully. And he continues to serve the church today. He loves the church and modeled that for me. He had every right to turn away and be bitter and angry at the church, at people, but refused to do so. I love the church. Everything that my family has is because of the church. I mean, I think of the places that I've been in the world, the things that I've been able to see is because of the generosity and hospitality of the church of Jesus Christ. I'm all in with the church. Absolutely love it. I want you to hear that and I want you to know that. But as Scott said in his sermon last week, and I am in complete agreement with this, and I want you to hear this, the evangelical church is very, very sick. And some of us are sick and we don't even know we're sick. We're not even aware of it. What I do not want is I do not want the evangelical church to lock itself up in a building to get more and more insular, smaller and smaller, and only surround ourselves with people who think like us, believe like us, look like us, and vote like us. The church has got to name where it has been silent and complicit. Now is the time. It is crucial that we, and I'm naming myself, but it is crucial that we realign ourselves, reorient our lives around Jesus and his ways. And I'm deeply concerned. I'm, I'm concerned when, when the narratives that I hear in the church are narratives like this. We're losing our traditions. There's conversations happening that I'm not comfortable with. They're making me uncomfortable. I'm being challenged in ways that I don't like. And I, I want to be self-defensive and I, I want to blame other people because it can't be our fault, right? We are in danger of becoming smaller and smaller, more and more angry, more insular to the point where we will no longer be relevant to anyone, but only to ourselves. Our goal cannot be to keep the lights on and the bills paid. Because if that's it, if that really gets to the cusp of it, then all we've got is parking problems and noise. We've got to wake up. And this goes for me too. This is one of the reasons why we as your staff, as Hillside staff, are doing all that we can to wake up. We're, we're committed to waking up, doing the hard work reading, educating, listening, posturing ourselves to open ourselves up to listen to people who have been marginalized for far too long. The last community that I worked at was a community called Open Door in Walnut Creek. And Open Door had this saying that circulated around itself. It was a learning community and they had this in their ethos. And it said this, it said, let's learn to listen longer than feels comfortable. <laughs> and I love that. Let's, let's learn to listen longer than feels comfortable. Listen to this. When we reflect the image of God, we do so without division, 
between peoples, but with our distinct ethnicities and cultures fully intact. Jesus breaks down the divisions between us, but leaves the distinctions in place. Time and time again, Jesus said things like this, let the, little, let the little children come to me, while his disciples protested that children were not important. Jesus stopped on the road for a man yelling, son of David, have mercy on me, while his disciples told the man to shut up because blind beggars were not important. Jesus invited himself to a tax collector's house for dinner while the crowd was saddened and confused because that man had been cruel and, and a cruel thief. Jesus made him important. Jesus spoke with a woman at a well in a city that he didn't have to go to while his disciples complained about going there. His actions and his words allowed her to know that she and her people mattered to God. And instead of telling a story about his own actions, in the world, Jesus tells a story about a Samaritan to a lawyer, trying to trap him in the process. He, re he redefines what it means to be a neighbor and says, go and do likewise. I think, well, I know, I can hear Jesus saying, children matter, the lame matter, sinners matter, women matter. The LGBTQ community matters. Black lives matter. Latino lives matter. Asian lives matter. To the evangelical church, I would say, hey, church, we need to have a talk. On his way to die for the whole world, Jesus proved, he proved that he loved everyone by making specific people matter. And guess what? It's our turn now. We're gonna look at a story this morning. And I had asked you to read the story prior to our discussion this morning. And it comes out of the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. So if you haven't read it yet, I would ask you maybe to put this on pause, read the story. And as you're reading the story, I want you to ask yourself the question, where do I see myself in the story? Where is the evangelical church in America in the story? And do we have the courage to do some serious soul surgery? Now at this time in history, to put this in its context to help the story come alive. At this time in history, there was a, it was a big debate happening among the religious community, among the rabbis in particular. And the big debate was centered, the big debate was centered around this question, who is my neighbor? The rabbis believed that, that all people were created in the image of God. There was a piece of the divine in every human. However, the Samaritans were excluded from that list. 
Now, before you start objecting to where you think I'm going in this sermon, I'm going to ask you to listen longer than feels comfortable. The rabbi said, all lives are created in the image of God. Now, I think a more accurate statement, a more honest statement would be, most people are created in the image of God, but not all. Most lives matter, but not all lives matter. The debate centered around the question, who is my neighbor, comes out of a book in the Torah, which are the first five books of the Old Testament, and out of the book of Leviticus, chapter 19, verse 18, and it says this, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. The word neighbor comes from the Hebrew word reya, and reya is defined and translated as somebody who is nearby. And that, that about sums it up, right? You're like going, well, what does that mean exactly? Who is my reya? Who is my neighbor? Somebody who is nearby. The rabbis were responsible for interpreting the Torah for their communities. So each community had a rabbi. That rabbi's interpretation was referred to as the yoke of the rabbi. It's how he would interpret the laws and regulations found in the Torah. And that shaped the community. It helped form the community. This is how we're supposed to be in the world, in the world and follow the rules of the Lord. So the question would be then, what does the Torah mean by nearby? Does the Torah mean your fellow Jew? Does it mean family members? Does it mean those within a 25 mile radius? Because you think about their modes of transportation, 25 miles would have been a long ways to walk. So what does it mean nearby? Some rabbis would even go so far as to say, even your enemies were considered to be neighbors to a degree right? But even, even your enemies, some would even take it that far. Now, guess what? There was a great deal of division over this issue. Sounds like where we're at today, does it not? A great deal of division over what is meant by a lot of statements that fly around in our culture today. But there were two things that everyone agreed upon that kept them centered in the story. Your neighbor could never be a pagan, and your neighbor could never be a Samaritan. According to Jewish tradition, he that eats the bread of Samaritans is like he who eats the flesh of swine. Now, this makes this a bit more loaded when you start to put it in its context. And when you read in the Gospels, about Jesus and people accusing Jesus of certain things and who he hung out with and associated himself with, it makes a passage like John chapter eight, verse 48, come alive. Listen to this. These are the religious leaders talking to Jesus and they say, are we not right in saying that you, Jesus, are a Samaritan and have a demon, right? It's like, it's like the two go together. You're, you're a Samaritan and you have a demon. Not even human, they're like dehumanizing Jesus. And Jesus, Jesus made the religious institution completely uncomfortable. He, he, he wasn't interested in making people comfortable. 
He made them extremely uncomfortable to where they would squirm and they would be like, oh, I don't like this. It would cause them to kind of like get this white knuckle reaction to their traditions and their beliefs to where they would clinch down even harder when Jesus challenged their ideas of Torah and God and life. And here's Jesus in Luke chapter 10, and he's right in the debate. He's right in the heat of it, right where you would think he would be. And it's like, I can hear Jesus saying, hey, church, we need to have a talk. And so the story begins, the story begins with a question. And this is how good stories begin. It begins with a question by an expert of the law. He's referred to as a a lawyer, and he's an expert of the law, the Torah. And this expert is after something here. He's not... He's not interested in Jesus' interpretation of the Torah. This isn't a a friendly debate going on between these two people. You know what I mean? It's like like when somebody asks a question, but they already know the answer. They, They know the right answer to the question that they're asking. So they're actually trying to trap you or to accuse you or to convince others that they are right and you are wrong. Do you, do you know what I'm talking about? Like when somebody asks the question, you know, like, hey, that's loaded. There's something behind the question there. Or when someone makes a statement and you're like, I don't think we're really talking about that. I think we're talking about something else. And this expert has to win the argument because when we're defensive or we're always trying to prove our points, we, just, we have to win the argument. It's like, we gotta, we gotta win all the time. And so the first question is asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life. Now, it's important to note that the afterlife wasn't a main topic of discussion among the Jews. So eternal life was about something else. Eternal life is equated with living in God's shalom. So the question is, when I ask, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It might say, what, what, what does one do to connect to peace and wholeness, harmony with God, like the fullest life possible here and now. And Jesus responds with a a good question. Like any good rabbi would do, you respond with a question when you're asked a question. And he says in verse 26, how does the Torah teach you to live? So he's keeping it in the text. Oh, let's go to the Torah. What does the Torah say? And of course, the lawyer draws from his, uh, his vast knowledge of the Torah and he starts quoting Leviticus and Deuteronomy like any good rabbi would do. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus responds, yeah, good answer. You did it. Do this and live. Do this and experience eternal life. And you would think, okay, discussion over. It ends here. They walk away peacefully, but the lawyer has an agenda. He's got a bone to pick with Jesus. The lawyer suffers from the very thing that lots of religious people suffer from. Again, the need to be right. I've got to win the argument. The need to let everyone know that we're on the right side, you're on the wrong side, us versus them. This is how reality really is. Verse 29, wanting to justify himself, He asked Jesus, hey, who is my neighbor? Who is my my Rhea? Who is the person who is nearby? Now remember, 
Jesus is moving from town to town, village to village. He's on his way to Jerusalem. But he's moving and he, everywhere he goes, he, he keeps declaring the kingdom of God is here and he demonstrates it, he teaches it, he acts, he shows us what the kingdom of God is like through word and through action. This is what it looks like when God is king. This is what God looks like. This is what God is like. It's, it's when the weak and the powerless are actually lifted up and brought back into the center and there's great equality for all people. And so Jesus keeps insisting that God is, is actually for the powerless and the oppressed. And he keeps bringing them into the story. Prostitutes, tax collectors, Samaritans, all welcome into the family of God. And it's making religious people uncomfortable. And Jesus is, is doing all he can to help people move along in the story. And he's, he's like reforming. He's reforming um, all of these traditions and he's reforming the religion of his day. And he's trying to get people to see the expansive, generous nature of the kingdom of God, that there, there's more than enough for everyone, there, that everybody is welcome to the table. And so in order to engage the audience in this deeper discussion, Jesus tells a story because stories are what actually transform people's hearts. And Jesus knows that, that a good story when told very well, can actually kind of uh, ignite something in our imaginations. It can get into the heart and soul of our motivations and into the very center of our being. Because stories change lives. This is why we, we as a staff are, are choosing right now to listen to people's stories, the people of color. We wanna hear stories of their experiences and of their pain. And we're not trying to define their pain. We're not trying to tell them what their pain is. We're not trying to dismiss it. We're listening because we don't get to tell people how they feel. We don't get to define their view of reality. We, we get to listen, to try to understand what their experience is. And so Jesus takes us into a story and he tells this story and, it's, and he uses this, this picture of, of a road between Jerusalem and Jericho. Now this road between Jerusalem and Jericho was only a few feet wide. So it was a place that was, was rather narrow. It was also a place where thieves and robbers could attack people because there was, there was no place to escape or run. So you were extremely vulnerable when you were on this road. And a priest comes along and he passes on the other side of the man lying on the side of the road. Now, Jesus is inserting a little bit of humor here because there's really no other side. And then along comes a Levite and he does the same exact thing. Now, at this point in the story, we're supposed to stop and start to think, okay, we, we, we are, we're, we're supposed to assume that these two characters in the story are bad, right? And we're not supposed to be like the bad people in the story. They're not helping the man in need. And the point of the story is to stop and help the man in need. Now, it's a, it's a good lesson to learn, but it's not the point of the story. And many times what we do with stories is we miss the point. We're, we miss the point because we get caught up in some of these details. But at this point in the story, we're not supposed to say, those guys are bad, this person is good. Now, this person on the side of the road had been beaten, which means he's bloodied up. And the Torah has a lot to say about a priest and a Levite not being in contact with anyone's blood. 
It also says in the story that this man is half dead. This word half dead comes from the Hebrew word gosis, which means almost dead. So in the Torah, there's all these rules and regulations for priests and Levites that they have to stay away from blood. They have to stay away from dead bodies because they would be in danger of defiling their entire community. So put yourself in their position for a moment. This is your role in the community. Do I help this man in need? Because if I do, that means that I will be in danger of defiling my entire community. And as a man of God, as an interpreter of the Torah, I can't run the risk of defiling my whole community. These aren't bad men. They're keeping the Torah, which is really important. So the point of the story can't be, don't be like these guys. So along comes guy number three, and this has got to be the hero in the story, right? This has got to be the character that all of us are supposed to emulate, and that's got to be the point of the story. And those listening might be thinking, okay, here we go. Person number three comes into the story. This is where Jesus actually names the lawyer as the hero because the lawyer answered the question correctly, and Jesus is going to affirm his correct interpretation of the Torah, but it's not. Jesus has the audacity to drop a Samaritan into the story. And everybody listening to this story at this point is extremely uncomfortable and they gasp, a a Samaritan, gross, how can this possibly be? Now it's difficult for us to fully understand how shocking this would have been to the listener. But realize this, Samaritans didn't even have a hint of the divine inside of them. And Jesus actually holds the Samaritan up as the one who might be displaying a more accurate image of the divine than the religious leaders. I sometimes wonder if the Samaritan in the story is actually Jesus revealing this is what God is like. This is a more accurate picture of what God is like in our world. And you are so caught up in your own little religious group that you might not even recognize God if he showed up right in front of your face. Jesus asks the lawyer a question, an important question in verse 36. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hand of robbers? Do you see how subversive this story is? How you answer this question reveals a lot about your character. Because how do you answer a question when you are so full of hatred and anger towards a particular group of people or a person? You can't say their name. It's like the story of the prodigal sons, the elder brother in the story can't even say my brother. What does he say? He says, that son of yours. Names bond us. They connect us. They reinforce the humanity of another. Names have a way of acknowledging another person's name and and pain. 
Notice how the expert responds. He can't even say the word Samaritan. He says the one who had mercy on him. He can't say the name. This might be one of the clearest pictures of what God is actually like, and you can't even say the name. And then Jesus says, go and do likewise. It reminds me of what Jesus said, whatever you do to the least of these, you also do to me. I don't want us to be irrelevant, church. I want to be standing with Jesus along with all of you in solidarity with those in the margins. I want to be a people who are entering into the debates, into the arguments, into the dialogue, into where culture is at. I don't want us to die. But we can't be silent anymore. We, our goal cannot be comfort and security. It just cannot be. It is time to wake up. I believe in the church. I believe that we have the greatest message of hope to give to the world through Jesus Christ. I firmly believe that. And I'm gonna do everything I can in this second half of my life to help reform, reshape, reestablish, realign, reorient ourselves around the ways of Jesus. But friends, we have got to be standing on the right side of justice in this one. We've got to be found standing with our brothers and sisters who are experiencing deep pain right now and have for hundreds of years. We need to stand in solidarity and not come in to win the argument, but to listen and to learn longer than feels comfortable. We've got to be standing on the right side of justice here. I want to close with this statement from Greg Boyle. I read it at our service of lament last week, but it has stayed with me. The strategy of Jesus is not centered in taking the right stand on issues, but rather in standing in the right place with the outcast and those relegated to the margins. Let's wake up, friends. Jesus, have mercy on us. Realign, reorient, make us uncomfortable. Holy Spirit, challenge us and make us uncomfortable. Help us name the things in us that need to go. Help us to name all the different forms of idolatry that we have claimed and attached ourselves to as a church. Help us to enter into the dialogue and not to come in to win an argument, but to listen, to learn, to respond in humility and openness that we might be part of the problem. Forgive us, we repent. 
We lay down our own agendas because we want to be able to identify you when you show up in our midst. We wanna see you in the face of the stranger and the foreigner, the immigrant, the outcast. We wanna see you in the face of all of our brothers and sisters of color. We wanna see you, Jesus, as one of the least of these. We're not interested in winning. We're not interested in winning an argument. We lay down our rights. We lay down our hearts. We take up our cross and we choose to follow you. We're all in, Jesus. Thank you. Grace and peace be with you.
serving as your secretary. I also serve on the reentry committee, which has been prayerfully and carefully considering ways in which we can, when we're allowed to, have a church service that's safe for all of our congregants. I'm happy to say that earlier this week, the Contra Costa County Health Services said that we can have a church service for 100 people or less in an outdoor setting. So I'm here to tell you that we would like to do our first worship gathering on Sunday, June 21st. We're gonna have two services, 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. And they're spaced apart so that we can do our part to sanitize and keep everything safe for you. There are a few things you're gonna to need to know so that you can prepare for it. First thing is, you're gonna to wanna to register. I know that sounds funny that you're gonna to register to go to church, but we wanna make sure that we have enough space available for everybody who would like to attend. The church services are going to be about 45 minutes long with a 15 minute break in between. And then we're, you're going to see things differently. First of all, you'll see when you come in from the parking spot, you'll see that there are going to be council members and staff members directing the traffic. And we're going to be here in the back area for, for that worship gathering. You're going to see circles here that show the areas that the families will be able to stay in. And you'll have to stay in those areas for the entire worship service. We will have bathrooms available and we'll have lots of signs and directions that tell you where you can and can't go to keep a safe distance. There's some other things you'll want to bring with you too. You'll want to bring your mask and you'll probably want to bring some lawn chairs with you so that you all have a place to sit when you're here. You'll want to probably bring a bottle of water if you need it and maybe some sunscreen and a hat in case it's warm outside. Anyways, we know that this will not be for everybody. Not everybody will be ready to come back. And that's okay, we want you to know that. This does not replace the online church services. We will still be offering those and you can view them on YouTube, Facebook, or Hillside's webpage. We want to know that this is available if you feel ready. And if not, that's okay too. Thank you and we look forward to seeing you. Now I'd like you to join us in the benediction that will be from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves have received from God. Join me in prayer, please. Father God, we thank you for your comfort in times of affliction. We are thankful for Christ willingly experiencing pain and affliction so that he can conquer death and give us what we need in our times of pain and suffering. Father, fill our hearts with compassion for those who are hurting and may it serve as a reminder to us in the times that you, you have lavished us with compassion. Bless our week ahead. Amen.